Hello, and welcome to another episode of Shocking, Lurid, Tawdry, A History of American Scandal, the podcast where we tell you the scandals that America forgot. I'm Casey Howe. And I'm Mark Piker, the world's biggest fan of Don't Worry, Darling. <laughs> Coming at you live. That's right. It has okay. been a topsy-turvy, to use your term from earlier, uh, world for that film rollout. Uh, I cannot wait for a few months to pass so that I can do an episode about the Don't Worry Darling drama scandal. Oh my gosh. A scandalo. I'm excited. This is a perfect example of why we tend to wait a few decades before we cover mm-hmm. a scandal. We don't know. know how this is going to come out. We don't. We don't. No. Meanwhile, my Instagram feed has no idea that this is a thing at all and are just live in their best lives at the Harry Styles MSG residency, which is what I'm going to call it. Yeah. Because he's been there forever. Yeah. So um, apparently no one in that line of work cares. But um, yeah, that has been, um, I think we're going to say rocky. Rocky. Yeah. Or unclear. Maybe it's working perfectly. Who knows? I, I would love, I would just love to know what the conversation is around the star of a movie just not doing press for it. Yeah. Well. Like, that's all I want to know. That's what I really want to know. But you know what? We're not getting into it. We need to see where the chips fall before we dive in. Very true. Very true. Um, Yes. I mean, we can just have a discussion with the one Mr. Joaquin Phoenix and see how that goes. But um, anyway, moving on, as you said, um, we're going to see how that goes. We're going to see how this whole award season goes with um, all the new, I mean, it's, it's back to, back to normal. So we'll um, see how everything is received and see yeah. how all the press rollouts, if everyone's a little rusty. <laughs> I, uh, I think that this year we will need to do like a wrap up of the mini scandals of award season. Ooh, that could be fun. I love that. Last year it would have been fun to do something about Sam Elliott being like, Oh, this gay Western. Power of the dog. (laughs) Ah. Am I right? I mean, Uh, Also, one more quick note of business. Please. Uh, I recently got a phone call while sitting at an airport. Okay. A phone call, yes. Uh, From uh, Shocking Lord Tawdry fan Tyler saying... I just listened to the Ilaria Baldwin episode and I didn't know any of that story. Thank you, Tyler. A little validation on my part. Unfortunately, he was driving while he was listening. Oh, no. I and hope I it was, there was no was, accident. Everything was fine, but not the safest of driving conditions to hear what Ilaria Baldwin named her children <laughs> behind the wheel no, of the car. No, I'd swerve, I'd swerve right off the road. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so anyway, shout oh out to gosh. Tyler for having his world changed by an That's episode right. of hey, Shocking Lord and Tawdry. That's what we can do. You never know what episode's going to do it, people. That's why you got to keep on listening. Keep on, keep it on. And now on, I have uh, a story that I knew nothing about until last weekend. Ooh, fun. I love this. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I'm sure to not know it because you even put the name of the um, that's right. person that we're going to talk about on this on this recording. And I have no idea who that is. And I so, never do that because I like to preserve <laughs> the surprise element. But uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Right. 
Here we go. On September 28th, 1980, Janet Cook published an explosive story in the Washington Post about an eight-year-old heroin addict. Headlined Jimmy's World, the story did a number of things. It became national story for one, it presaged the crack epidemic for another, and it earned Cook a promotion from the weekly section to the Metro desk of the Post and made her bosses, Bob Woodward and Ben Bradley, incredibly pleased. Ooh, okay. And six months later, it earned Janet Cook a Pulitzer Prize making her the first Black woman to win one. Oh, wow. Okay. But I feel like the story, there's a twist. <laughs> since the story is about a child addicted to drugs, thanks to his guardians, whom Cook described in the article, watch she described watching them shoot him up. Eek. Okay. A lot of people, a lot of people across the country were less impressed with Cook's journalism and more concerned about child abuse. <laughs> fair. Fair. But, fair point. <laughs> As led by Ben Bradley and Bob Woodward, heard of them? The Post was not about to give up anonymous sources. They'd been oh, down no. that road before, hadn't they? Eh, huh. Woodward? Wink, wink. <laughs> and besides, Cook's editor had pressed her to promise anonymity to land the story. But for some reason... The people concerned about an eight-year-old in a narcotic haze, as Cook described it in the article, were less concerned about journalistic ethics. What? Come that's on, been, people. Now, Casey, I'm, I'm not trying to poach your territory. <laughs> okay, that's okay. That's, that's when Mayor Marion Barry stepped in. Ooh, okay. Yep. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with Marion Barry? Um, I'm not. I'm assuming no. New York? Uh, no, this is, this is in D.C. In D.C. Okay, so she's in D.C. I know it's the post. Uh, he, okay. he, he. He, 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 or sorry, I'm jo- Janet Cook was in, yes, she, but Marianne, well, I would, Mark, in the 1980s, I would never assume that a big city mayor was a woman, please. Correct. Uh, so <laughs> about a decade later, Marion Barry would be arrested for uh, possession of crack cocaine. Oh, I'll add that to my list. And then I believe he was reelected. <laughs> that sounds right. Yep. Anyway, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. all of us ahead of him, none of us behind him. Stay tuned for next week's episode. <laughs> Mayor Marion Barry Barry stepped in, demanding to know the boy's name and location so he and the city of Washington, D.C. could properly care for him. Janet Cook and the Post refused. Barry's office announced they'd found Jimmy anyway and he was being treated. A few days later, they recanted. Some sources today claim that Barry's office solemnly announced that Jimmy had died, but (gasps) I cannot find a contemporary newspaper article that says that. (laughs) Okay, whoops. However, when you investigate this story, a lot of people just say they announced that they had found him and he was undergoing treatment. And then a few days later, they said, oh, he, he did. <gasps> well, oops. but I cannot find okay. any proof okay. that, okay. that okay. was ever a statement that came sure. from the mayor's office. Okay. Anyway, so you can see the scandal here. Can you not? I can. I uh, have a feeling that little Jimmy may not. Anyway, keep going, Mark. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to, Casey. Thank you. <laughs> How about this? Okay. Janet Cook came from the Toledo Star to the Washington Post. And when she won the Pulitzer, naturally, her bio went out over the AP wires. Her bio was largely a surprise to her former colleagues at the Toledo Star, who compared with the AP sent out to what they had on file. Things like magna cum laude from Vassar, master's degree from Toledo University, fluent in French and Spanish. They contacted the AP. A bunch of people contacted the Post. 
And then a bunch of Post employees contacted Janet Cook. Oh, no. For 11 hours. Until she admitted it. She had lied on her resume to get the job. And she made up Jimmy. <gasps> oh, my goodness. She gave back the Pulitzer, <laughs> big lies. which coincidentally went to a Village Voice reporter for her coverage of Dorothy Stratton's murder. <laughs> oh my goodness, which also I do not know about, so add that to your list. Well, that's true crime. We can't do that. Oh, that's true. Okay. That's okay. Fine. Let's go. Let's go to okay, the Okay, tell me more. Tell me more. How did all of this happen? Let's this unpack. Seems, this let's seems unpack. like it got real big and somebody yeah. should have said hang on a minute, somewhere <laughs> along the line. Okay. Okay. Start from the beginning, Mark. Okay. Tell me everything. Here is the first sentence of Janet Cook's Pulitzer Prize winning story for a day. Jimmy's <laughs> world. Okay. Jimmy is eight years old and a third generation heroin addict, a precocious little boy with sandy hair, velvety brown eyes and needle marks freckling the baby smooth skin of his thin brown arms. In the story, Jimmy does not go to school often, and when he does, he focuses on math so he can make money. Jenna Cook invents his ambition. Uh, quote, In a city overflowing with what many consider positive role models for a Black child with almost any ambition, doctors, lawyers, politicians, bank presidents, Jimmy wants most to be a good dope dealer. He says that when he is older, maybe about 11, he would like to, quote, go over to Condon Terrace, notorious for its open selling of drugs and violent way of life, or somewhere else and sell. With the money, he says, he would buy a German shepherd dog and a bicycle, maybe a basketball, and save the rest, quote, so I could buy some real shit and sell it. Actually, let's go back even further. Okay. okay. A year okay. before, summer 79, Janet Cook writes Ben Bradley, who is the editor of the Washington Post at the time, a letter saying she'd like to work for him. Attached is her resume. Bradley circles her Phi Beta Kappa status at Vassar and forwards it to Bob Woodward. Cook comes in, interviews with several staffers. They're all impressed because it's 1980 and everyone is clamoring about hiring more minorities and women. And looky here. It's a black There's woman. One. There's one. Oh, okay. So. I, okay. She gets hired. Sure. 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 Okay. I like it. Give opportunities. I'm with you. So. Not only that, but as the Post's ombudsman, Bill Green, would write in his extremely detailed uh, investigation into how all of this happened. And you can probably see some of the issues with uh, Janet Cook. Some of the issues for Janet Cook in her career uh, okay. in this description of her from the investigation into what happened. Okay. She was a conspicuous member of the newsroom staff. When she walked, she pranced. When she smiled, she dazzled. Her wardrobe seemed always new, impeccable, and limitless. She has a dramatic flair, Bradley said. I <laughs> am not thrilled to hear anyone no. described as prancing at work. Mm -mm. No. No. Anyway. Uh, okay. More than anything else, Janet Cook was ambitious. The night Sounds before like the story ran, she was given the choice to kill it because she, and according to her article, she had witnessed a crime and could be subpoenaed if she didn't reveal her sources. Right. Right. She sure. said run it. Okay. So she didn't the, mind the spotlight if that was going to happen. Yep. She was ready. All right. 
the story was so massive that, and remember, this is September 1980. Yeah. The story was so massive that a reporter at the Post's style section sent it to Nancy Reagan shortly after the presidential election. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In the week after publication, Stafford, because what happens when you have a major story like this? You want to build on it. You want the sequel. Okay. You want to follow up. You want to do all the things to keep the conversation going and to keep the focus on you. Okay, got it. So in the week after publication, staffers were sent out to find another Jimmy. Okay. Because if there's one eight-year-old heroin addict, there must be more. Let's talk to them. They got to be everywhere. Okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one staffer who was partnered with Janet Cook started having suspicions. Okay. Uh, They were looking for Jimmy to do a follow-up interview, I believe. Uh, For one, Janet Cook did not know the area of town that she claimed Jimmy lived in. For another, she couldn't point to a house and say, oh, that was his house. Did they meet at a coffee shop downtown? Nope. She (laughs) she described the house vividly, in vivid detail. (gasps) Wow. Uh, Okay. Why hadn't the police been able to find an eight-year-old heroin addict? Or yeah, anyone I who mean, knew of the... That would stand so out. There's, there are a lot of doubts building about how impossible it is to find this kid, about how no one met him. She's kind of getting cagey about the details. After 17 okay. days, Mayor Barry said, ah, we're kind of giving up on that. Meaning finding the eight-year-old heroin addict. Okay. Uh, And this is the beginning of kind of public questioning because Mayor Barry also was the first person to publicly wonder why a mother and dealer would allow a reporter to watch an eight-year-old do heroin. Yeah. It seems, I mean, amongst the theory of giving your child heroin, also allowing an outside witness to witness such a crime. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I know. I, I know, you know, drug drug addiction doesn't always lead to uh, the best decision-making or judgment, but even that, I think, is a stretch. So all of this, all of this came about because Janet Cook was on the weekly section, which was called the ghetto of the Washington Post. It's kind of where there's no forward momentum for the staffers there. They are all working really hard to get noticed enough to move up to another section of the paper. Mm-hmm. But their their beat and what they're assigned to cover is not great. exactly so. Yeah, uh, and she very strangely kind of uh, started covering a lot of drug related stories. And at one point, she was reporting on she was doing interviews regarding a new form of heroin that caused face ulcers. And she was talking to her editor, Vivian Applin Brownlee, and her editor said, oh, actually, you should talk to MetroDesk about this. I think that this is like, this is a story for the Daily. Mm -hmm. And so that, and then that's the last that her editor, Vivian, ever heard about the story that would become Jimmy's World. And then she opened the paper and there it is. She never read a draft of it. No one told, no one talked to her about it. And she was like, this is, this is bullshit. This is ludicrous. What eight-year-old makes a connection between math and drugs? And Janet <laughs> Cook that. is ambitious. Janet Cook is ambitious enough to, you know, stretch the truth. And her editor was like, "I've had to pull her back on stuff and say, is that strictly mm. what happens, or are those strictly the facts?" Uh, and when Got the Pulitzers it. were announced, 
she went to the editor of the story and said, I hope she has committed the perfect crime. <gasps> oh, no. When Janet Cook returned the Pulitzer, that editor called Vivian Applin Brownlee and said, she didn't commit the perfect crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. 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 So, okay. So there's there are a lot of doubts in and out of the newsroom about the veracity of the story. Uh, it serves to do one of two things: either people really start questioning it and start kind of looking askance at Janet Cook, or, and this is particularly true of Bradley and Woodward, they really double down because to allow a moment of doubt to creep in sure. is to call into question everything. Sure. Yeah, They cannot allow themselves to question her story. Yeah, uh, Other people have questioned why it was put up for a Pulitzer when so many people had doubts. Uh, one reason, a lot of people were not public with their doubts because they didn't have any proof. And why are you going to accuse someone of fabricating an entire story yeah. without any proof? Right. That seemed a little extreme even for them. They were, they were like, well, that couldn't happen. It's just maybe there's a few holes. Right. Yep. And I'm sure it got traction immediately. So it's already a nation. It's instantly oh, yeah. a nationwide instantly. story yep. and everybody's covered. Yeah. So it instantly gets picked up. It's everywhere now. Yeah. So okay. this is happening over the course of six months, September to April. Uh, when she found out that she won the Pulitzer, Janet Cook was in New Haven working on the John Hinckley story. Oh, so she got uh, bumped right up. And when they finally convinced her that she had won for Jimmy's World, she claimed later that she bought a bottle of champagne, called her mother, and watched Dallas in her motel room. Okay, well, I don't hate the Dallas selection. Well done. So, And I don't <laughs> hate covering the John Hinckley trial. No, or the, John or the champagne. Case. Yes. Uh, so she found out a week before it was announced, I believe. Uh, they got an inside tip from the committee. I think two people were so excited to be able to award Jimmy's World the Pulitzer Prize that they called Ben Bradley. And Ben Bradley was like, Jenna Cook, you won't believe. And she's like, oh, <laughs> shit. Really? <laughs> really? Okay. Huh. Yeah. That one. Oh. Hmm. Which makes her celebration, her quote, air quote yeah. celebration even more uh, amazing and appropriate because she drank by herself a bottle of champagne watching yeah. Dallas in her hotel room. Yeah, realizing yes. that what like oh shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the official biography released by the Pulitzer Committee and carried on the AP wire came from a standard uh, Washington Post biographical form that had been attached to her nomination for the prize. Janet Cook filled that out. Nobody on the post checked it. Yet it differed significantly Why? from the resume she filed for the post when she applied for the job. Oh, so it didn't even follow that? No. I, oh, gosh. No. Between getting hired at the post and filling it out for the Pulitzers. She'd learned she two claimed, languages. Yes, she did. <laughs> she claimed all of a sudden she spoke French, Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian. Portuguese. Portuguese is tricky. I mean, you can kind of get away with the, the big three well, of Europe, but... Put, Portuguese. Put a pin in Portuguese. It'll come back. <laughs> oh, fun. Okay. <laughs> uh, she also claimed to have won six awards from the Ohio Newspaper Women's Association and another from the Ohio AP. Her first resume claimed only a single award from the Newspaper Women's Association. Oh, my gosh. The new version of her bio also claimed that she graduated magna cum laude from Vassar 
attended the Sorbonne and received a master's <gasps> degree from the University of Toledo. Toledo. What? Did she graduate? Let's start from the, did she graduate from Vassar? Did she nope. go to Vassar? Nope. She went to Vassar for one year and then she got her undergraduate degree from the University of Toledo. Oh no. Yes. Janet. Yeah. That's too far, Janet. It's too far. So Little lies, little lies. Not big, you're too big. Go ahead. Everybody, all of a sudden, everybody's got like, the Pulitzer's calling, uh, Vassar is calling the post. The Pulitzers are calling the post. AP is calling the post. They're like, what? 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 <laughs> they get out her original resume and they compare it to the Pulitzer form. And they're like, well, shit. Remember how we couldn't let a single doubt into our minds or we'd have to call into question everything? Uh, we have to call into question everything. Everything. We're at the everything point. So her editor takes her to the Capitol Hill Hilton for ginger ales. Ooh. I love it. He finally gets her to admit about lying about Vassar. Literally, they're calling Vassar. Vassar? He's like, I mean, I don't know what she's, I don't know why she's saying I didn't graduate. I did. And he's like, I'm on the phone with a woman <laughs> in Vassar. <laughs> and she's trying to like brazen her way out of it. And oh she ultimately says, fine, fine. I lied about Vassar, but everything else is the truth. <laughs> They go back to the office. She sits in an empty eighth floor office with her editor, Coleman, Bradley, and uh, another guy, Simons, who proceed to grill her for 11 hours. Okay. About everything. About everything. And she will not budge on Jimmy's world. <laughs> Bradley demands she speak two words to him in Portuguese. She oh. can't. <laughs> Good job on two, Bradley, because sometimes you can get one. Everyone knows, like, thank you yep. in the language. Yep. She couldn't even pull off a thank you. Like, I can pull well, off a thank you. Eventually. I've only been on tap airways once, and I can pull out a thank you. <laughs> I, in Swedish, I can say tak tak, which means thank oh, you. Good job. Thank you. Tak tak. Eventually, they call in a friend of hers on the staff and leave him alone with her. And then finally, he gets through to her. She admits that she made it all up. She admits that she's been basically a, a walking disaster since the story got published and became a huge thing. And then the Pulitzer has been a nightmare because she made it sure. up. Sure. Uh, yeah. She also confessed that she never would have admitted to any of the men who were grilling her that she made it up. And she never would have admitted, Fair. she never would have buckled if there was an institution demanding. It was only because she was close with this guy. Wow. And she's like, I would never have told Bradley that, er basically like that arrogant son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she writes okay. a note saying, okay. I made up Jimmy's world. Here is, here's my Pulitzer. Bye. <laughs> okay. And then she so, just lives a quiet is... life in the woods for the rest of. <sighs> well, hold on. <laughs> so this is a big deal. Uh, this is a big okay. deal for yeah. a lot of uh, One, this is a huge, uh, it's a huge win and then a huge blow for the black community because they, yeah. uh, you have the first black woman to win a Pulitzer Prize. And then it is the first real violation of journalistic ethics uh, in modern times. And of course, now we have, Stephen Glass and Jason Blair and many, many other people who just make shit up. Sure. 
Uh, but at the time, this was this was a new territory, and good for you, it was, Janet. Like it was <laughs> really, really bad. It was really bad. Yeah. Uh, there's also a question of how demanding are we to our employees, mm. uh, which I don't think has ever been solved. Sure, fair, fair. Okay. And ben Bradley was like, I don't know. We expect we demand the same amount from everyone. Not everyone goes out and makes up a story. It's like, well, sure, but also, you know, uh, why did you why did you hire Janet Cook? And then also based on that resume, granted fictional, but mm-hmm. based on that resume, why did you put her in one of the lowest positions of the paper you yeah. put? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why did you only notice her when she wrote this, you know, crazy and poppy story? Yes. And yeah. there's something about like Janet Cook who pranced around the office and was by all accounts extremely fashionable and uh, very, very far removed from the world of drugs. But her her big breakthrough story was to play into kind of the crack epidemic yeah. of white America. Yep, absolutely. And just deliver on a silver platter every stereotype, every like dirty mm-hmm. suspicion. Yeah, written uh, by a black woman, so it must yes. be. So we know it's true now. Yes, yeah, like no, exactly. This Oof. story which encompasses so Gross. many issues of like late twentieth century America. She uh, would just—I mean, I can just picture her like this very put together, fashionable woman on this news floor full of men, and everyone's like, "She's prancing around." I was like, "She's probably walking." Yes, I could. Probably just walking down the walking down the hall. Yeah. And she probably I can picture, can't you picture her? Like just so mad one day. Just be like, you know what? Fuck you. Like, fuck all y'all. Yes. Here you go. <laughs> Maybe now you'll notice. Maybe now you'll stop so being such she, assholes. Oh so my god. Let me let me, let okay. me finish let me finish her story. Okay. Then I want to tell you what she said about Oh, what okay, good. Good, 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 good. Okay, okay. Uh so she basically disappears. Okay. Uh, she ends up getting married. She moves to Paris. They get divorced. She has to wire her mother for money to come back. She's living with her mother. She's working retail. Uh, and then she doesn't do any interviews. She says nothing okay. for 15 years. And then she reaches out to an ex-boyfriend of hers she worked with at The Post, who has been writing for Esquire, for GQ. And she says, I want to tell my story. I want you to tell it. And so they... They sit down and they do a whole story. Uh, and after that, she does a couple of big, big uh, talk show appearances, news show appearances. Bryant Gumble is one. Okay. And there's a bidding war for the story. TriStar ends up buying it. Okay. Uh, and the movie rights are sold for $725,000 to be split between her and the writer of the article. Okay. And TriStar production chief Stacy Snyder told the Los Angeles Times, I was fascinated by the relationship between a young editorial puppy and a temptress finding her way in a really sexy world. Cook's character is fascinating, charming, tragic, all that good stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, the movie has never been made. Okay, okay. That was uh, this question, guy, obviously, this guy, Mike Sager, uh, did a follow up to this story in like 2006 for Columbia Journalism Review. 
And he said, it might've been even more recently than that. I take that back. And he said, Janet Cook is living in a family situation within the continental United States. Uh, and as she recently told me, I spent the last 30 years of my life waiting to die. <gasps> somewhat oh. Riley, somewhat, somewhat Riley, but you okay. Know. Okay. Okay. But still, uh, her 96 comeback was, was intended to be a return to writing. That's what, that's what she did. Sure. That's what she loved doing. And, uh, nobody really wanted to offer that olive branch. Yeah. Uh, there was no so, forgive. Yeah. Janet Cook pointed out a lot of what we've already discussed about her place in the newsroom and what it took to get noticed. She also pointed out that she heard about an eight-year-old heroin addict and she could not find him. And as her editor kept saying, anonymity is fine. You can use it. You can make them anonymous. You don't have to, they don't have to go on the record. She realized, well, I could just make it up. Mm. Got it. If Got I've it. heard about this eight-year-old heroin addict and I can offer anonymity, then I can just make it up. Right. Right. Uh, and then she was basically living in her own personal hell for six months after the story mm. came out and it was a huge deal. And she immediately got a promotion. Ugh, of course. That story came out, and they immediately moved her to the Metro, which of also they did. infuriated her boss, her editor, Vivian, the one who never believed the story. Sure. Because she was yeah. like, one, the story is bullshit. Two, you just poached my most experienced writer that I've spent most of this year training. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So this was the OG, like, Stephen Glass, Jason Blair nonsense. Mm-hmm. Except wow. So much more complicated and nuanced because there's so there's like race and gender and that particular like white flight of the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh my goodness. Very layered. Very, very um yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very layered. You're sitting there and you're like, Janet, I'm not really on your team. And then all of a sudden you're like, but also yeah. the photos. I'm texting okay. you. I'm texting you this okay. photo. Okay. Oh my gosh. I need to figure out when these photos were taken because they're so, they really don't help her case. <gasps> oh, that's true. Yeah. When was this photo shoot? Was it after the Pulitzer? No, I mean, the Pulitzer, she had the Pulitzer for a day. It was literally a day. And then she was like, I can. And uh, Janet Mock and Ryan Murphy are teaming up for a movie. I just office. saw this when I when I clicked the images. I was Janet Mock, Ryan Murphy officially. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Fe a feature film debut. So not to worry, everyone. TriStar might not have pulled the trigger, but Netflix has. Well, but You're also, I w this was announced in like early pre-pandemic 2020. And oh, okay. A year later, Janet Mock went off on Ryan Murphy at a public event. Whoops. So uh, I don't know if that's going to... That's going to happen. If that's going to happen. But, okay. you know, that is her... That is Janet Mock's, like... She wants that to be her feature film debut. Uh, I would love to see this movie. Same. Especially in 20... Like, in the 2020s, when it's yeah. not just... 
oh, like a sexy bad girl seducing a young editorial pup. Yeah. Uh, what? I was like, I'm sorry. Is that your takeaway from the Janet the Janet Cook story? Yeah, I'm like, so so Bradley Woodward, like they're just young pups in 1980. Like they're the insane in this. No, no, no. She means You're the saying- guy who ended up writing the story for GQ. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I thought you meant the, act, the original Washington Post. Yeah. Also, if Please. they dated, if they dated when she was at the Washington Post. I, so he got grilled. the same age. He got grilled hard about like, what did you know? When did you know it? Sure. And he was like, oh, I like looked over the story. I didn't dig into anything. Like, mm-mm. You're not pinning this on me. Oh, wow. Okay. I like it. That's good. Yeah. So that oh is... Uh, and it remains... It, it remained until his death, I believe, the biggest black mark on Ben Bradley's career. Yeah, fair. Like, the thing that... Was the asterisk. Did, yeah. Like, oh, mm-hmm. an amazing career. And then, like, ugh... Oops. Sorry. Interesting. Yeah, and he and Woodward were just like, yeah, we really fucked up. (gasps) Whoops. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's wild. That's wild. You're right. There are lots lots of layers to this. It's like the reputations of these people who we're very familiar with in this you know, godlike role and all the wonderful things they did and the Pentagon Papers, blah, 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 blah. You know, and the Washington Post in and of itself as an mm-hmm. institution and the pillars that it holds up. And then you and then you have this and then Janet in, in and of herself is very yeah. layered with all that she, and then the story on top of it. It's just so many, so it's many also- triggers. It's also very, very strange to go back. I highly recommend going and reading the story, the original Jimmy's World. It's still on Washington Post's website. Uh, It is such a, like, obviously, it is very scandalous, lurid, tawdry. Oh. Uh, But it's so thin. Oh, interesting. It's extremely, and I don't know, who knows what the experience reading of reading it without knowing that it's fictionalized is. That's true. Good point. Good point. Um, but you know, so many, a lot of people actually pointed out, like, why didn't she just start writing fiction? Yeah, that's true. I think Gabriel Garcia Marquez said, uh, they absolutely should have taken away her Pulitzer Prize. It's a shame they didn't give her the Nobel Prize for fiction. Oh, there you go. Okay. Okay. I like it. Good one, Mark. Thank you. I was so pleased when I found it. <laughs> Such a good one. I love when that happens. You're like, oh, yeah. what is this? Tell me more. Uh, this came courtesy of Margaret Sullivan's upcoming memoir, uh, Confessions of an Ink-Stained Life. Ink-Stained. Right. The newsroom um, tell-all. Yes. Like that, you know, or whatever. Newsroom Confidential. They're Newsroom Confidential. There Thank you go. You. I just read it and I couldn't remember the name. Oh, fun. Okay. Uh, Margaret Sullivan's Newsroom Confidential. She mentioned it in passing and I thought... Oh, what is this story? And I started digging in and I was like, oh, well, obviously Ooh. this is my scandal. This is this is a story. Is a story. Yes. Oh, okay. Love it. Shout out to the book. There we go. Shout out to the book. Coming out in October. I love it. 
Woo. Oh my goodness. Good one, Mark. I loved it. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, thank you. And thank you, thank listeners. You. Thank you, dear listeners, most of all. Thank you.